and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I was out unaffiliated show jumping again last weekend with Alfie. I have to say it was a bitterly cold weekend. Well, certainly day on Sunday when I was at Felbridge. The poor lady who was running the gate at the show jumping show told me while I was waiting that she had five layers on her top half, four on her bottom half and nine in the middle, which definitely made me giggle before I went into the arena. Poor thing. But uh, obviously that little giggle helped me since uh, I just had one down in each round. So pretty happy with Alfie despite the cold. Today on the podcast, our interview is Sammy Elderhan, the show jumper who previously rode for Egypt but has recently changed nationality to compete for Britain. It's a new adventure for me and I'm very, very excited to compete for Great Britain and I've had some very, very good results recently under the flag. So, yeah, I think the future is uh, bright for me, I hope. <laughs> I'll be chatting to our news desk about changes to the highway code, research into rehabilitation after sacroiliac pain and kick back against the decision to remove riding from the modern pentathlon. Finally, trainer Jason Webb will give us some insight into longlining as part of a young horse's education. This is done with a little bit of patience, actually. I don't want to get into a tug of war with my horse's mouth. More from Jason later. For now, buckle up your noseband and let's get going. Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by a rider who has achieved plenty of success at the highest level, but who only started riding for Great Britain very recently. It's Samuel Dehan. Sam, welcome to this week's podcast. Hi, Jen. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Great stuff. So, Sam, you've literally just flown into Belfast from your native Egypt. But for yeah. people who may not know, you've recently switched nationalities and we're very excited to have you flying the British flag these days. How does that feel? Uh, to be honest, I'm excited too. As I said, uh, it has been a difficult year for me. Uh, lots of things, lots of changes, uh, but it's a new adventure for me and I'm very, very excited to, uh, or have started, that I have already started to compete for, uh, you know, Great Britain and I've had some very, very good results recently under the flag. So that's all very exciting. You know, new beginnings for me are new adventures and uh, yeah, I think the future is, uh, is is bright for uh, for me i hope <laughs> fantastic yeah no good stuff um and you've actually been based in county antrim in northern ireland for the past 10 years with joanne sloan allen can you tell us a bit about your setup there and i mean you've got everything from five star grand prix horses to brood yeah. mares and everything haven't you yeah that's true jen uh i've been based here with joanne for the last uh, 10 to 11 years now and i must say you know she's a fantastic person she's been you know, in my, uh, in my, you know, supporting me through the through the years with horses and and uh, and show jumpers, and she has also like a breeding stock that is coming along now. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's very very exciting, and the Sloan family are a fantastic. You know, they're fantastic. They have been so supportive to me. Uh, I owe them a lot. You know, I give them a lot of credit for what I have achieved, and what I would will hopefully achieve in the future with them. Um, they've been in my bag. They have supported me with horses through the years. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I've, I really enjoy working with them. They always have my back and they always support me. So that's always nice to have had that, have that emotions in, in, in your, in your work, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty privileged to have that, uh, in my career. Uh, so yeah, the, we're, we're based in County Antrim. We have three, three farms. The main farm is basically where the horses, the, the, the show jumpers are. And there's two outdoor arenas, uh, a grass field and an indoor arena and Lovely. a gallop as well. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And then uh, two other farms were just basically the fields and the barns for the young stock and the broodmares and the retired horses. So, yeah, everything is happening at Sycamore, Jen. I was going to say, pretty, quite pretty a collection. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty exciting place. You know, it's it yeah. never stops. It's quite busy. Sometimes it's too demanding, but yeah, it's the, the the good thing is we do what we love, and that's basically what just keeps us going. You know, that's it, and also quite a nice place to escape to, I guess, after months on the road and things to to get exactly. back home and enjoy yeah. your horses again. Exactly, very quiet and peaceful. And normally, when we are on the road, the horses come back and they're straight in the field. Oh, and wow. one of my favorite moments is basically when I see 
Zorro mostly and then the, my other horse as well but Zorro and she comes back and I put her in the field and she runs around for you know a few minutes that's actually quite an exciting uh, uh, scenery for me oh, I, I, I really enjoy it. that I really enjoy that yeah she loves her field time as well so it's she? kind of a mutual thing yeah she does yeah. <laughs> and tell us about the beautiful Zorro she's um, I mean she's quite a horse talent wise but she's quite a character as well I hear She's, she's, yeah, she's uh, the closest to a human. She's a genius. <laughs> I, I always say that. She's a fantastic horse. I owe her everything, you know, like this horse has, has made my career inside out. I always had good horses in my life. I always had good results. Uh, but the, the, the connection that I have with this mare is, is, uh, is not normal. I feel like she oh. understands everything I, I tell her and, she under, and, and I understand everything she tells me. Um, wow. So yeah, it's quite it's quite a relationship. Uh, I love her. Like it's that's the simplest word I can say about <laughs> her. I just love the horse. I love Zorro, Aww. and I think she loves me too. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you can definitely see it in the ring. There's definitely a bond yeah. there between you. It's fantastic to watch. Thank um, you. Appreciate that. And tell us about some of the other top horses you're riding at the moment. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I must say I'm, I'm quite lucky at the moment. It took a bit of time to build a, a string of top horses, but I'm, I'm very lucky to have achieved that now. Mm -hmm. So there is still Zorro. And I think I told you, she will tell me when she wants to retire. You know, she still looks like she's a 10 year old. She's 17 now, it's fantastic. Uh, but she looks like a 10 year old and she's <laughs> strong and healthy and still, you know, uh, winning and, and doing all sort of things. So she's going to tell me when she's going to retire. But I think next year I'm going to pick my shows more with her, you know, like sure. uh, yeah. just every once in a while, maybe take her to a five star show or something like that. Um, and then there is the Amy Moamere that I was second with in Paris and the one that I qualified with to the Prague playoffs. She's 11 and uh, although she's already have achieved fantastic things, but I feel there's so much improvement in the horse um, that next year that you will see a lot of her and hopefully in the, in the, in the prize giving, you know, she, she, she has everything. She's so talented. She's so scopy. She's very careful. Uh, and yeah, and she just needs that um, ring time at, at, at 160 level, you know, she's done already plenty this year and I obviously had to push her a little bit because I was on the long list for the Olympics. Uh, but everything happens for a reason. I wasn't there and I think that that now is behind me and I just have to focus on her next year to, to produce some very good results. Um, there's also Wicked Enigma. She's nine year old. Oh, uh, yes. She's a beautiful grey mare. Um, and yeah, I think also of her, I think a lot of her now, I think she's, she's, she's a horse for the future. Easy, everything is easy for her, you know, she has a big stride, she's very scopy, she's super technique, very rideable. Mm -hmm. uh, again, just a bit of time uh, at the level and, and, uh, and I think I'll have a very good Grand Prix horse. Nice. And then there's the young ones, there's an eight-year-old WKD Toronto, I think I mentioned him to you. He's a cheeky one, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, by, he's by Ternesh, out of a mare that Joanne rode uh, at the end of her career and she always said that she was quite quite a busy mare mm -hmm. um, so he's uh, he's eight now and and uh, he's super talented he is a, one of the most talented horses that I've uh, that I've rode he's small but with a lot of fire wow. and I always say to Joanna I think I have a love-hate relationship with him <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it turns into a love-love relationship when yeah. he does well and he just doesn't give me grief then yeah. it turns to be a love-love relationship <laughs> So I yeah, I, have I must say I'm very privileged now, Jen. You know, I have plenty of nice horses thanks to you know to Joanne and and uh, and the Sloan family for that. And I'm really excited for next year. I'm actually can't wait to get the season started next year and get a bit stuck in. You know. Oh, good! It's very exciting yeah. times. I mean, what do you look for in a horse? Are there any particular traits or characteristics you want to see in one, or do you sort of? take each one as they come? Well, I take them as they come, to be honest. But for some reason, I end up with a lot of chestnut mares. I don't know why it's that. <laughs> but but I, like, it's not like I go and look for that, you know. Yeah. But it's just, it, I don't know if it's a bond that, that I can, uh, you know, get acquainted with, with them very quickly or what. But I end up with a lot of chestnut mares in my stables. And in fairness, they always fight for me and I feel that and uh, and I believe in them. So I think this is why there is a, a strong relationship. When there's a strong relationship between a horse and rider, 
it it makes it makes it makes life so much easier you know you know that the horses will fight for you you don't need to think Completely. about anything but make their life easy in the ring you know yeah um, absolutely so so um, they're so definitely yeah. marmite aren't they chestnut bears people <laughs> either love them or hate them but they do fight for you like you say when you they get do. a good one yeah you can't really beat a good they chestnut they, bear they, so. they give you a lot of grief because they're stubborn but if <laughs> yeah. you work with them it's a lot easier than working against them i can tell you that out of experience now you know <laughs> i never try to upset them i can tell you that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so. and it's a tough one but if you could pick any sort of horse past or present to ride who would be your dream uh, show jumping partner would you say from the horses that like the best horses in the world yeah any particular names stand out for you one that you've saw jumping and thought oh i'd love to have that one in my stable well to be honest i think a lot of people would say hickstead and i would say ah, him yes. as well and uh yeah hickstead would be my my pick and i'm i'm gonna say that and it's a very brave uh, phrase that i'm gonna say but i think toronto can be, I'm not saying he's going to be, but can mm -hmm. be in his caliber. You know, he has the same mentality and the same kind of fire in him. So oh my goodness. whether it will happen or not, it's in the future. But yeah. uh, I have, a, I have, yeah, exactly. And I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of faith in him. So Fantastic. let's see. <laughs> oh my goodness. Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and results wise, you've had a tremendous few years, but I'd say one of your crowning moments was Spruce Meadows in 2019 when you won the Grand Prix there with uh, Zorro. Tell us yeah. about that amazing day. It's such an amazing achievement. I love Spruce. I said that before. It's an amazing facility. It's an amazing venue to jump at. It's like for, for me as, as a rider that, uh, you know, uh, started this career in Egypt, in Cairo, going to local shows and then built my, my way up to be in Europe and then and then go to, to the likes of Spruce. You watch Spruce as a young rider and you watch it and you say, my God, you'd love to just jump that, you know, just yeah. feel the grass. So I've done it a few years and it's a, obviously a brilliant facility, but winning that Grand Prix is on every rider's checklist. Yeah, uh, sure. To win a Grand Prix that everybody <laughs> wants to win. and. When when it happened for me, uh, I don't know. There's actually words can describe that, Jen. You know, it was, um, yeah. My heart was pounding. My oh. my there was impulses going through my whole body. My whole body was shivering when I finished wow. that last jump and looked at the screen. <gasps> um, yeah, amazing achievement and credit to my horse. You know, credit to Zoro. She fought for me for three rounds, big jumps long courses as you know yeah toughest in the world and like yeah she just gave everything for me there and um yeah so when when i looked at the when i looked at the clock and it said it said first place yeah i don't think i was ever happier you know it, it was one of yeah one of my uh, one of the moments that i go back to you know in in the sport you get a lot of hard days and it's hard work and you work from day to night and you never stop and you go to shows and you knock a fence down and all your dreams are broken kind of thing that day and you just say well there there are great days and it just gets you through that tough period i go back to to, to spruce whenever i have a tough period i go back to that day and it just gets me through it that's really so, interesting gosh yeah so i'm very lucky to have a day like that in my career that i just can fall back on and get going again you know yeah oh fantastic <laughs> yeah. um and actually like was it a premonition that joanne had you weren't actually going to mm -hmm. go to spruce meadows is that right well done yes <laughs> so it was in 2018 actually it wasn't 2019 it was in 2018 oh, okay. and the plan for the year was uh to go to try on for the world games for team egypt so i was doing the 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 global league as well and in that year zora won the paris grand prix and she was placed in another another few um, and then the plan was to do Volkensvard, as I, as far as I remember, which was um, like a month kind of before Tryon, right. and then ease off that the mare is fresh for Tryon. Um, and then we we uh, we sat down one day and uh, not even sat down. Jo Joanne woke up and we were having a coffee and she said we have to go to Spruce and I said <gasps> no we can't. Do it's, it's only it's only it's only ten days before Tryon, so yeah. you can't make it. No no I'm gonna get you there. I had a dream last night, and, and this is not a word of a lie. I'm telling you the exact the, the, the exact conversation we had. I had yeah. a dream last night, and you won the Grand Prix there. I said, Joanne, I tell her this. I said, Joanne, you know, it's it's only a dream, and I really <laughs> want to go to Tryon, and the mare is fresh, and it's hard to do the logistics because the horses had to fly to Spruce, come back to Europe, and then fly again to Tryon. 
Oh my goodness. And, and she said to me, this is none of your business. I'm going to get you to Spruce, <laughs> get the mare back and get you to try on. And the mare needs to jump. She, 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 to get her to try on cold, cold like this without having a, a big class into her, that's, it's not a good idea. And to be fair, <laughs> she is right. Zoro always gets better as she jumps. Oh, if, if I give her a, a, big, a big period of time off and then straight away put her in a big class, it's not her best results. So obviously I'm not going to argue. I really want to go to Spruce myself. <laughs> yeah. you know, so when she said that to me, I said, well, okay. And oh, that gosh. was it. You know, the rest was, as you've seen it, uh, she, won, she won the biggest Grand Prix yeah. in, in her life. And credit to, to Zorro because she earned that. You know, like I owe that to her. Through her career, everybody kind of said that Zorro doesn't have enough scope. So when she jumped 140, she's mm -hmm. not scopy for 145. When she jumped 145, like that. And to be fair, they were not wrong. The mare just gives everything at every jump. That's who she is. Um, so because they didn't ride her, they didn't know, they didn't know the fight in her. Yeah. So when she won a 170 Grand Prix, what else can you win? You, know? <laughs> you can't say she's not scopy anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be that. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, we saw you out at the Super Grand Prix in uh, in Prague. Um, yeah. I mean, this is another one of those classes. It just takes the sport to the next level, doesn't it? How does it? Yeah. Do Do you deal with that kind of pressure well? You always seem quite a relaxed person, but uh, super motivated as well. How did you find the Prague experience? You know, it, uh, okay. To be honest, it was uh, not the week that I was looking for. Um, um, I deal. I normally deal with pressure very well. Um, but for me, I think that Prague was just that one show too many with how the year went. It wasn't, right. you know, I had to do too many shows with the horses. Uh, Amy Moi uh, had to jump from uh, kind of end of April. Not many shows, but always five-star shows under pressure, you know, and such a sharp mare like her having having to do that because of the Olympics and because of trying to prove a point. And, you know, there were so many things happening that kind of just made us not do stick to the plan that we wanted that we wanted to and uh, and when I got to Prague the mayor jumped fantastic the first day mm -hmm. um, and then in, um, you know I walked the course and I thought it was good the first round the mayor warmed up very very well and then I had an unlucky fence on the on, you know having the first fence down that just didn't didn't help Oh, I could no. have rode better for sure at the first, <laughs> you know, could have made just a little bit more effort. I was a bit too relaxed to it. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't want to take, you know, put too much pressure on the mare from the start. And obviously, in hindsight, that was a mistake. The second, I think it was even in the warm up, the mare was trying too hard. And, uh, and I even tried to ease, take, you know, take the pressure off in the warm up. I didn't jump too many jumps because I felt that, you know, mm -hmm. not, not, in, not in a bad way, but you know, that she's just trying a bit too hard than, than normal. I know the horse inside out because sure. obviously I've been riding her since she was no age. Um, so, uh, and that's why basically when that happened, I pulled out. You know, like a lot of my friends were saying to me, you're not a quitter. Why didn't you just finish what you started? And I say, and I said, I said, first of all, my horses come first. And what is going to, it's not going to make any difference to my life if I finished uh, eighth or 10th or 12th. It's not going to make any difference. It's either in the top five for me or, or the rest is basically more or less the same. It's just, it's not going to affect me in any way. So yeah. why would I put my horse through another 10 jumps and already I'm feeling the mare that she's she's putting too much pressure on herself, you know, and, and that's yeah. basically why I, I could have easily went back and jumped the last few jumps. And I know my mare would have jumped them because she's a trier and she trusts me. But I just put her first and I said, you know what, it's one of those days. It's yeah. not our day and there's more days to come. Like I said, I'm just excited for next season. So sure. give her a break now. She's she's being turned out every day, oh, enjoying, a bit of, <laughs> enjoying a bit of run around the fields. And uh, Joanne is going to start with her in the beginning of the year in, the, in Oliva in Spain, just to chill her brains a bit. And then I'm going to take over again, maybe March. And then that's when she's ready to jump big classes again. Oh, exciting times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And talking about being busy this year, you've also been part of the Global Champions League, the GCL. And that yeah. always looks like such a fun competition to watch. But um, is that yeah. pressure, I imagine? You've, uh, keep, it keeps you busy and uh, it's a lot to ride against with your teammates. And Yeah, I, I, love, I love team competitions, to be honest, Jen. And like I said to you again in, in Prague, I'm really, I can't wait to get 
to get riding for for a team for for you know for for Team GB. I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to take a bit of time, but I, I love team competitions by nature. I'm a team person and I'm a team player, uh, and that's what lets me you know makes me uh, kick you know. So I love it. The only problem is with this year, I just had to do too much. Because I always, you know, the, the, my teammates, there was horses that were injured or they were doing the Olympics or, you know, there's so many ups and downs that I basically had to feature too many times for the team. And that's one of the reasons that I had to do too much. Uh, Joanne and I weren't planning to do these many rounds. Um, so it's exciting. I really like it. Um, I'm just hoping if, if I'm on a team next next year that we we can take the pressure off each other that you know when when, uh, when I feel my horses are a little bit uh, you know stressed I can maybe lay off and another person can uh, jump in and take take the take the you know take the team for that for that show uh, but it's a very exciting competition you know it again it's it's another pressure it's an added pressure for you and for the horse. Uh, and that's what it's all about, you know, you just go in the ring and you fight for your teammate and you fight with your horse to, 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 to get a clear round. And when it happens, it's a cool feeling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. a great spectacle anyway, of the music and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. it's good to watch. Yeah, yeah. for yeah, you guys. Yeah. Not sometimes, so much, sometimes. sometimes it's especially indoors because I have all, oh, all my yeah. horses are very sharp. So it just takes, it takes a little bit of their concentration, but, uh, but it's cool. Yeah, it's all the music and good the sound fun. and everything. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, and just take us back. I mean, you learned to ride in Cairo. I mean, that must be pretty different from learning to ride in the UK. Just uh, briefly fill us in about how you you got this passion for horses. Well, um, again, I was I was lucky as a young kid because who, who I started with was uh, was a military man. Uh, he was a military general, and he I started when I was a five year old because my brother was you know started riding and he's four years older, so I just mm -hmm. was following him kind of thing. And then, okay, again, I like my family tells the story. It's just like you fall in love with the animal. Um, I fell in love with horses since no age, and I'm a very, um, I love animals as a whole. I remember as a kid, um, we in, in Cairo we have some stray dogs and cats, uh, and when I go down from my apartment to wait for the bus for, for school. I had a cat that waits for me every every morning, and I give oh, her no. my I give her my lunch. So, oh, that's uh, so cute! Yeah, I used to do that for a whole year, and then uh, I don't wow. know what happened to the cat because it's a stray cat. So I don't know if if she oh. left for another place or maybe she got run run over. So I don't I don't know. But that yeah. was my and my mom used to look at me from the balcony and she tells me like, do I need to make two lunches? I said, no, no, oh, it's no. fine. <laughs> so I, I love oh, animals wow. by nature, and I think that's that's basically one of the one of the reasons that I chose to do show jumping rather than what I studied. I studied medicine, but I chose to do show jumping as a career instead of instead of medicine. Um, mm -hmm. So back to Cairo. Yeah. So the guy that used to train me was a military general and he it was 40 years of position, flat work, <laughs> uh, you know, where is your heels, your toes, your body, your neck, your head, oh looking where, you know, your hands, all that kind of thing. So I think this is was the the platform for what where I am today. Uh, yeah, learning the basics. It's what yeah. it's all about, really, it, isn't it? Yeah, so. I've, I actually never even passed over a pole for four years. From f five to wow. nine, I never even cantered over a pole. It was just flat work circles, you know, figures of eight position. And you used to have Gosh. a big, I remember, you used to have a mic because uh -huh. we were like 10 of us in, in, a, in the school. And he just shouts at you, and he is uh, like a military general. So he just, if you're looking yeah. down, you're suddenly looking up to the sky. Oh, no. you know, just, <laughs> things like this. So, uh, yeah. So I, I, I stick with you as yeah, well. Yeah, it does because I still remember that. I still remember it clear as day. Uh, yeah. God rest his soul, uh, General Yusuf Warab. He's uh, he he put that into me, and then and then I moved on to another place, and I started jumping and and went to shows. Uh, my first show I actually wanted, so that also makes you want to do it more. Um, and then I had some f um, French trainers that were in Egypt that were helping us. They were uh, hired by the Federation, uh, so they were training the, the young team and I was one of them. I traveled abroad every summer. So I think all these things, a mix of, a mix of different schools helped me just to figure out kind of the best of everything, you know.
Yeah. yeah. And and were you watching international show jumping growing up? Did you sort of have equestrian heroes or anyone to look up to and aspire to from I, I watched, overseas? I, I watched Milton is the only millionaire. <gasps> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that as a That's kid. definitely inspirational, yeah, I would say. Yeah, it's an unbelievable story, you know. Uh, oh, John Whitaker now is, 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 is obviously been an idol to me as a kid with what he achieved with Milton and I was competing with him in the Super Grand Prix last, you know, oh, 10 gosh. days ago. So that's, again, for me, all these things are exciting, you know, the, people don't talk about these things, but I, I, it is the truth, you know, when, when I ride with somebody like John Whitaker or uh, before that, before Nick retired, Nick Skelton or, you know, those guys uh -huh. are always have been role models for us. Uh, so when you get to ride with them, it's, it's, a, it's a cool, it's a cool feeling and, and I enjoy that. Uh, so I watched this and then I, whatever was on TV or you can, you can live stream at the time was very difficult to, to live stream as, as, as now. Uh, yeah. But whatever you can live stream, I, I watched it. I watched every Olympics, uh, Spruce Meadows, because normally it was on TV. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I was growing up watching. Amazing. And I mean, yeah, you must have these pinch yourself moments, like you say, with warming up against uh, John Whitaker and people mm -hmm. like that. Do you, mm -hmm. do you take time to sort of look back at how far you've come? A hundred percent. Every like these are the, the times where I just like I say, OK, Sam, your your dreams were this and you've achieved some of it. So there is still more time to achieve what your all your dreams, you know, and and, and that's because it is a hard job, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a very, you put a lot of effort and work into it. And like I said, just one touch over a pole and a pole and your, oh. the, all your dreams just sink straight away. So it is a hard, it is a hard sport and you can't come back from that. It's not like football or any yeah. other sport that you, if you get a goal scored into your team, you can kind of come back from that. You can't. Uh, yeah. So that's why I think it is a sport of, of ups and downs, you know, you're up yes. in the sky <laughs> and the next day you're on the floor and, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah. like, this. it's like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need a good mentality to deal with it oh, all, but yeah, you certainly, you seem very motivated and very, uh, have the right attitude about it. So it's great to watch. Thank you very much. Um, so you're off to Oliva in the spring. What are the plans between now and then? Are you um, sort of staying at home or are you back on the road again soon? No, I'm, uh, I'm, we're actually home now. Just do some national shows with the younger horses like Toronto and, and some of the younger horses just to get them ready to go away in the beginning of the year. I go, I go skiing in, a, in 10 days oh, nice. time, so I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah, I love skiing also. It, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've only started doing it two or three years ago, uh, okay. but it's my go-to uh, chill time, you know, like Hazoro oh, is the yes. field for me is the, is the mountains now with the, You're with on the, the slopes. slopes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, fantastic. I'm on the waiting list for Olympia. Uh, I would love to do it, but yeah, I know it's a very hard show to get into, especially that I just changed to, do, to you know, riding for Great Britain and I didn't mm -hmm. do any of the Nations Cup for Great Britain and this is one of the qualification oh, yeah. systems, so I understand that. Um, so if, I, if it's not Olympia, then it's Oliva and the beginning of the year will be the first time to leave uh, Northern Ireland. Oh, well, fingers crossed for Olympia, but um, thank you, Sam. It's been really great chatting with you. And anyone actually who wants to read more about your exciting adventures, we're running a full interview in the 23rd of December issue of Horse and Hand. So oh, um, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you flying the British flag again very soon. My absolute pleasure. Looking forward to that and very, very excited to do it. So I'm joined today by two members of our news desk. First of all, hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you doing, Eleanor? Yeah, all good, thank you. Uh, went to a show this weekend, which was all good, and jumped clear, although you would have been a pool pipper because I turn my horse out in the morning because if, if I'm not leaving till lunchtime, I let them go out first. And then only realised when I got to the show that there were big lumps of mud in her mane and her <laughs> ears. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, Alfie lives out and he's recently started a very naughty trick. Well, when he sees that we're like loading up the car and the trailer to go out, he decides that's the time he's not going to be caught, which is not something he ever does normally. And luckily, always so far, his greed has basically overcome his desire not to be caught. And eventually some kind of treat or bucket has tempted him. But it's a very naughty habit he's recently getting into. But Eleanor, I do think 
think you should brush your horse before you take it to a show. <laughs> I thought I had, and then I was like, yeah, I got on because she's so big. I got on, I was like, yeah, there, there, there is mud. <laughs> if I ever have to write like a job reference for you, I'm going to say, Eleanor was great at her job, but not so good at brushing her horse. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might sum it up. <laughs> okay, but you did jump clear when you went like we once. Did. Okay, <laughs> it was all right in the end. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that is the most important thing, particularly if you're a show jumper. <laughs> all right, moving on from the unbrushed horse, uh, we also have with us today our news writer Becky Murray. Becky, I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, having, as you said earlier, joined us from the dark ages. Electricity is back in Scotland. Is that right? It is. I have just about recovered from Storm Arwen. Um, I had six nights without power, heating, hot water which was an adventure I absolutely did not sign up for. Um, A tree uprooted and was threatening to fall down my house, so we had to get that cut down, and I now have a massive tree lying in my riding arena. Oh, okay. I did see you posting on Facebook saying, did anyone have a chainsaw because the tree was literally about to fall down? Yeah, we heard it crack, and it was quite... It it was an urgent matter. (laughs) Yikes. Well, um, I'm impressed with your survival skills. Well done for for getting through. I hope you can get the tree moved soon so you can actually do some riding. I know. My partner suggested I use it as a jump, but no. (laughs) It needs to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I'm glad that you're back with us. I'm glad you've got power back, and hopefully you can get that chainsawed up and away soon, too. (laughs) Well, we are going to have a look at the week's news as normal. Um, Eleanor, starting with you, you've been working on a story about changes to the highway code. And it's a story that actually, when it went online, has provoked a lot of reaction. We've had quite a lot of letters about it to our letters page. What's it all about? Yeah, so we, we've been covering the fact that the government was intending to make reviews to the, a review of the highway code for a while. And initially, um, horses weren't specifically mentioned but then since then the British Horse Society has been really involved and one of the key stakeholders and what happened last week is this what they call a statutory instrument uh, was presented was laid before Parliament and so that means it's essentially the proposed changes so they proposed a few changes went out to consultation made some changes and these are sort of the final proposals they go before Parliament and if there are no uh, objections in 40 days they will become part of the highway code at the end of January. And what do these changes actually say? So there's, um, as Alan Hiscox, who's the safety director of the British Horse Society, said, he, he's very pleased with them. And he said he was doing dancing a little happy dance when he read them. Um, the, the, there's quite a few that mention horses. Some of the most significant ones are the fact that the guidance for drivers is that they should pass horses and horse-drawn vehicles at speeds under 10 miles an hour and allow at least two metres space. So that that's big, that's significant. Um, one of the other things that has been talked about quite a lot is this hierarchy of, of road users so the idea is that although everyone has to be you know responsible for everyone else uh, riders cyclists and and other vulnerable road users there, there's sort of this hierarchy that says that the ones that can cause the most damage i.e the vehicles have to be more careful of those of us who are more vulnerable yeah. um, there was some concern that cyclists were seen as either as above riders but that's not the case where all the vulnerable road users are alongside each other well that all sounds really positive what's been Mm. the reaction from the industry and road safety campaigners and bodies so uh, alan hiscox who has been working on his uh, the bhs's dead slow campaign for five and a half years now he's really pleased he he said when he started the campaign he never thought we'd get sort of this these many concessions um and he's saying now you know we can push these changes we can go to police road safety partnerships local authorities and say well this is what the highway code says how can we you know how can we keep riders and and drive uh, carriage drivers safe on the road and uh we also spoke to debbie smith who founded the pass wide and slow awareness group and she says they're positive it's all steps on the way she would like to see more action um including she wants it that drivers have to abide by riders uh hand signals by law but um she she's pleased she thinks it's a positive step Hmm, It definitely sounds like it. Thanks, Eleanor. Becky, uh, once you've recovered your power, you've been doing some writing, which is great news. Um, You've been looking at research into rehabilitation of horses with chronic sacroiliac pain. Who did this study? What did they sort of look at? What, What did they do to investigate this? 
Well, this uh, thesis done by an equine sports therapy and rehab graduate, Isabel Anderson, and this work actually won the British Equestrian Trade Association's thesis of the year. Now, the study looked at the diagnostic and rehab methods used for chronic sacroiliac dysfunction in UK horses, and it also looked at the involvement of owners and paraprofessionals such as physios during this rehab process. So owners um, completed a survey and were asked various questions about their sort of rehab journey. Okay, and what were the main findings from the study? Well, the study really highlighted the importance of paraprofessionals in this rehab process. Um, 93.2% of owners used a paraprofessional. Um, Almost half of this was the use of a physio. And almost half of the owners who took part considered that vet and paraprofessional to have a good relationship. And more than half also rated the rehab instructions as extremely clear. But interestingly, 55% of rehab cases that of the owners that took part in the survey um, were deemed unsuccessful. Oh, okay. So that sounds a bit disappointing that so many of the rehab journeys were unsuccessful, although in general, the relationships were quite good. Was that sort of the feeling you got? Absolutely. And from speaking to Isabel and I also spoke to the British Equine Veterinary Association, I think it was highlighted just how difficult sacroiliac issues are to diagnose and treat because of the location being so deep in the horse's pelvis. And Isabel said she'd like to see further studies looking into this sort of vet owner and paraprofessional relationship to see how the equine rehab journey could be improved. I found this one actually quite interesting myself as I'm going through a rehab process with my own horse for possible sacroiliac concerns and I know myself how important you know my physio has been and my vet has been so I think sort of any work in this area is really quite interesting and I'd be very interested to see more on it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for running us through that, Becky. Eleanor, I'm coming back to you. We're talking about pentathlon again this week. I feel like it's your favourite news story of the year. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the gift that keeps on giving. Can you remind us of the story so far for anyone who hasn't been following? Yeah, so um, obviously every time the Olympics come round recently, there have been some concerns raised about the standard of the riding phase. Uh, And in Tokyo, it was no different. But what was different was that there was one athlete had uh, what were described as distressing scenes when her horse was napping. And yeah, it it didn't look good for pentathlon, uh, I think is fair to say. And the UIPM, which is the world governing body, uh, announced straight away they were forming this working group to look at the riding and try to improve uh, horse welfare and athlete safety and that was all as far as we were aware going on and then last month early November they announced that they had decided they were going to drop riding from the pentathlon and they were launching a consultation to find a replacement sport. And so what is happening now off the back of that there's some kickback about the decision is that right? Yes, so as far as we're aware, the national federations weren't consulted about this decision. It was made by the UIPM executive board and they just said, you know, this is what's happening. And a lot of athletes uh, and federations have said actually they don't agree. So we've spoken to Kate Allenby, who who is part of a group called Pentathlon United, involving about 900 pentathletes from across the world. And they are doing their best to overturn this decision. There's been concerns raised that actually the way it was made wasn't constitutional. UIPM denies this, but they are saying it shouldn't have just been made by the executive board like that with no consultation. And we actually also spoke to the Danish Federation, which has appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport on that basis, that it was an unconstitutional decision. um, And they're hoping, therefore, to get it overturned. Mm, interesting. Kate Allenby, who you referenced there, of course, a British Olympic former pentathlon medalist. So big names involved in this. And I guess it's a bit like, you know, if you were an event rider and suddenly they decided that cross country wasn't going to be part of your sport or show jumping, that would be pretty dramatic. So this is big news for anyone who's uh, who is a pentathlete. Yeah, and it's one thing that that they, as they always say, that the sport was created as being, you know, so a, a so-called complete sport, and riding, as they always say, is part of the vision. It's part of the sport. So Kate described the loss of riding as like chopping off an arm. 
Yikes. Well, um, I think there's also some wider implications of this story, which you've been looking at, Eleanor, as well, in terms of sort of how pentathlon does interrelate with, with, with other equestrian sports. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so this is something that concerned me, has been concerning me, you know, ever since Tokyo, that there have been, and I'm sure people have seen online and on social media, petitions calling for all horse sport to be dropped from the Olympics as a result of what's happened in Tokyo, letters to the International Olympic Committee. And and it, it concerned me what implication this might have on horse sports social license, which is essentially public acceptance of involving horses in sport, which if, if we haven't got that, we haven't got horse sport. Um, so I spoke to uh, Roly Owers, who's the chief executive of World Horse Welfare, and, and he said yes, although obviously any decision on the sport is down to the UIPM they did not agree with banning the riding which they thought seemed to be treating the symptom rather than the cause but he also said you know this is a real wake-up call for the horse world it, as far as a lot of the public are concerned they they don't really see a difference between the show jumping in the modern pentathlon and eventing polo racing you know if if any horse sport loses its social license it affects all of us and so it, it, he was saying you know it's up to all of us in horse sport to really celebrate the horse human partnership and sell the story of not just what horses bring to people but what we bring to them and you know it, we need to embrace that and and tell a story about what makes our sport and our partnership so special mm, and you're totally right Eleanor that the general public just don't distinguish whenever sort of when I got back from Tokyo from the Olympics a lot of my non-horsey friends were like oh my god what about the girl who punched the horse and I was like it's nothing to do with me no. like that's not what I was covering I didn't see it it's not what we're involved in but of course as you say it is that's a really naive attitude that I had there thinking that I could just brush it off and say the pentathlon was nothing to do with us so it's a really interesting one and like you say just removing horses from sport isn't really the answer from our point of view so thank you for picking that up thank you Eleanor for running us through that story and to Becky for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specialises in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent in England and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason. In this episode, I'm going to talk about long lining. For me, long lining, I have about 20 foot ropes, which I run through a roller and I get my horse to travel forwards, left and right, stop and back up. That's what I'm aiming for. To start this process, I actually spend a lot of time with one rein. So I'm either working on the left side of my horse or I'm working on the right side of my horse. Now, in the beginning of this process, I'll have some flexions from the bit. So I'll make sure that my horse can bend to the left and bend to the right using bit contact. Once they can do this, I'll bend them and move them. So there's two ways I do this. I'll apply pressure to my horse's mouth and they will understand that as, as a bend in the direction that, I, that I'm asking. And from here, I can ask my horse just to step their back end around. So initially, it'll be horse's head bent, back end moving around while I'm at their side. So I'm standing right by their shoulders at this point. So I like to, to have that, my horse understanding that pretty well. And again, all these processes can take anything from 10 minutes to a week before they're feeling comfortable and ready to move on. So I have to say this about starting horses. Horses don't understand time. It's just when you see or you feel that they're sort of understanding what you want, then it'll be a good time to move on. So that's a good way to teach my horse to bend and move. The next, um, the next way to do that is to attach the 12 foot line, or you could use one of the longer lines um, to one side of the bit, walk to the other side of the horse, Put the reins over the head like, like you're putting reins over a horse's head. So the rope is going down the far side of the horse's body. And 
looping round their backside or just simply walking past your horse's backside and getting them to turn away from you and to follow you. So I like to teach them to turn away using that little method. And the more I want them to turn, the more I'll sort of start to loop it round their backside and then I'll step back towards their head. So they're having to go, the pressure's coming from their backside and drawing them all the way around in a complete circle. So I like my horse to be really familiar with that um, so that they're comfortable with the ropes. Mind you, something I haven't mentioned and which I, I do a, quite a bit of rope work with my horse in terms of desensitizing and getting him used to following the rope and not being worried about it. I spend some time teaching my horse that um, just to drag a rope. So I can hear some people in the BHS going, oh my goodness, what's this? <laughs> but um, I do let my horses um, drag a rope in a safe environment. So not out in an open field, in a, in a round pen or in a stable or somewhere I can keep a bit of an eye on them. But I like them to have the rope in and around their legs and tread on it and, and learn how to respond to a rope that's dragging on the ground. And it's one of those really easy processes that, that I do with every horse that, and the reason it's so easy is because I don't have to do anything. I just let them work it out. And you'll see horses work it out literally in about half an hour tops. You'll see them walking around, they'll stand on the rope and instead of overreacting and pulling back from, from the pressure of standing on the rope, you'll see them <laughs> Um, lift their leg and and move away or lower their head and move away and this helps them to be familiar with ropes in and around their legs generally so these little parts are really important in in terms of getting your horse used to ropes so we've done our turning um, just with one line or on um, using the bit and wrapping them around their hind end moving their hind end around you with a bend um, then i'll start to do that uh, with one line so it will go through the bit ring so i'll use a, a 20 foot line or a lunge line go through the bit ring first and then attached the line to the roller and this i'll spend some time just lunging my horse like this i'd like to do this because it gets my horse used to this line coming from the roller but if they're my horse can't get tangled up in the rope using this method once my horse has done this and you have to bear in mind that when i start this process it's always in a small space so i do this in a round pen so that my horse has sides and i have sides i can work with so that's just a little caveat for for me starting my long lining process then I'll, I might add another line and I'll start to get my horse moving forward and turning to the left and to the right. So I just bring them off the outside track using one line and then I'll independently use the opposite line to change directions and walk back the other way. So I'll spend a bit of time just teaching my horses to do that. Now this process, and I'm not going into a lot of detail here, you'll have to bear in mind but hopefully there's enough to see that there are processes in terms of long lining and at this stage I want my horses to understand left and right most importantly I value left and right more than I do a stopping a horse or pulling on a horse to stop them because left and right redirects energy and so therefore your horse um, is less likely to resist that cue so I like to have good lefts and rights. And then once my horse is really good with that, I might ask for one step back. To ask a horse to step backwards, I tend to have done a lot of this in hand. So both on the head collar and I might even use uh, one rein on the bit and get my, and use backwards pressure and just get just a, few steps back before I attempt to do this on long lines and this is done with a little bit of patience actually so I tend to use a little bit of pressure to the left and to the right and I might have my horse facing the wall 
and I wait for my horse to find it a little bit. So I, if I'm going to add any pressure, it's to move the horse's feet. So I might ask to move the horse's hind end slightly to the left or their hind end slightly to the right, just by changing where I stand behind the horse. I don't want to get into a tug of war with my horse's mouth. And, and then when I see one of the front legs take a step backwards, that's when I'll just relax and let them stand. So that's how I introduce a backwards step, moving the hind end to the left and right until I see the front leg just step backwards. And I tend to do that just facing um, a fence. So once my horse starts to understand forwards, which I've done a lot of on the lunge, and now I'm introducing on the long lining, they can turn to the left and they can turn to the right and they understand how to step away from the bit pressure. I'll spend up to a week doing this until my horse is becoming fluent and becoming really confident with the idea of these basic controls. Now, long lining can be pushed on to some incredible levels in terms of you can do some Grand Prix movements on the ground. That is for a long way down the line. These are just introducing the basic aids that I'm going to need to be able to ride my horse and direct my horse around. And that's what I'm looking for at this phase. So there's the introduction to long lining. Again, you're looking at a week to a month of this until your horse becomes really familiar, confident, and then you can move out of a confined space into sort of some maybe some tracks, some familiar tracks. You might want somebody on the horse's head at this early stage when you're outside these confined spaces. And I also like to set up little courses, so little cones to go around and give myself and my horse some focus as I start to advance the long lining. So yeah, that's, the, that's another really important process in the way I start horses. Thank you, Jason. Next week, Jason will be back to round off his mini-series by talking about introducing the horse to the rider. And our interview will be with Vicky Casey, who has two ponies through to the Mountain and Moorland final at the London International Horse Show. Next week's podcast is actually our final regular episode ahead of the Christmas break. We then have three specials planned for you over the festive season, so I'll tell you more about those at the end of next week's episode. Meanwhile, have a great couple of days. We'll be back next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.